Well, hello and welcome to Trinity. Thanks for joining us. My name's Jeff and excited for this message today. Uh, but even excited for this, I don't know if you heard, you might have, but we are officially in the orange tier in San Diego, which is great news. And it's great news because movie theaters are starting to open back up. I mean, one of the things that my wife and I have missed most this last year is just going to a movie. And I don't know if we're quite ready yet, but I think in the very near future, we'll, we'll start to head back into that dark room, recline the seats, and enter into some amazing stories through film. Because I love stories, whether it's movies, TV shows, whether it's fiction, whether it's historical narrative like we're going to uh, read today, whether it's a biography. A great story allows us to enter into somebody else's life, and in doing so, we learn more about our heart, our life, as we journey with this other person. C.S. Lewis writes about stories that he says that we see through the eyes of others. This is the power of the story, that we would see through the eyes of others. And today we're going to start a new series. We're going to look at a guy named Joseph. He's going to start the story as a 17-year-old. Now this is Joseph, the son of Jacob, found in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, chapter 37. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open there. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. But this is not Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. This is a story full of jealousy, hatred, violence, longing, desperation, but also faith, love, redemption, and the never-ending loyalty in pursuit of God towards his people, oftentimes despite their many sins. So as we kick off this series, as we look at Joseph, I want to encourage you not just to listen to the story of Joseph, but to put yourself in the story of Joseph. That you would allow the story that God is writing in your life to be affected by the story that God wrote in Joseph's. May we see God through the eyes of others for the next couple months. But before we jump in and read our passage, I want to take a couple minutes and bring you up to speed in terms of how we got to Genesis 37. What is going on? What's so significant about Joseph and his families. And it's going to start all the way back in Genesis 12. God calls a man named Abraham, and he makes a covenant with Abraham. This is found in Genesis 12, 3. He makes what's called the Abrahamic covenant. And he says this, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And from Abraham from this covenant, we see a transmission of blessing from father to son. Genesis, we, see we have Abraham. He has a, two sons, one Ishmael and one Isaac. And Isaac is the one that receives the covenantal blessing from God. And then Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau is the older, Jacob's the younger. But Jacob receives this covenantal blessing, which we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. And then Jacob, with his large family, wealthy, um, privileged, established family, they go and they reside in the land of Canaan. So Jacob has this blessing. He's residing with his family in Canaan. This is where we pick it up, Genesis 37, 1 through 11. Let me read it for us. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. 
He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. This is the word of God. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at um, three points, which are really movements as we go through this story. Um, they kind of build off each other, and the three points are this, chaos, contempt, and coincidences. Chaos, contempt, and coincidences. So look at, let's look at part, point one, chaos. So we start this passage, and the author is noting that he's going to introduce us to the generations of Jacob. Now this is significant, because up to this point in the story, um, God's people has simply been a single family unit. You had Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And these covenantal blessings are passed from father to son. Now we get to Jacob, though, and he has these 12 sons. And what God is going to do is he's going to take his people from a single family union, and he's going to create from them the nation of Israel. And he's going to do that through these 12 sons, which will one day become the 12 tribes of Israel. It's going to keep with his covenantal promise to Abraham that he... That God's people will be a blessing to all people in the world, that out of these 12 sons will come the nation of Israel. But it's not going to be easy. In fact, it is going to be really, really rocky. Now, if I were to ask you to write an autobiography of your life, and we looked at the formative moments that shaped you, whether those are early first memories or maybe these are um, specific formative things that have happened to you in your life. My guess is that um, many, if not all of us, would easily identify hard, challenging, potentially even horrific moments from our upbringing that have shaped us. Sometimes that shaping has a positive effect. We grow from it. Sometimes it has a negative and leads us down a more destructive path. But the Bible's not any different as it looks at people as it looks at families. It's messy, hard, full of strained relationships and terrible decisions, dysfunctional, unfair. And if you've read through the Old Testament, sometimes and even oftentimes violent. And as you look back at your own family, and we're gonna think about our own families a little bit today, 
I want you to consider the family that Joseph grew up with. There are 13 children that were recorded in Genesis, most likely more, but 12 sons, one daughter, two wives, Leah and Rachel, and Rachel is the one that Joseph or Jacob loved most. In addition, there were two surrogate mothers. So here's what we essentially have. One husband, four wives, uh, 13 kids, 12 sons. One of the four wives is loved most, but tragically, she dies in childbirth, giving birth to uh, her second son, Benjamin. And what happens is her two children are clearly favored above the rest. And it creates what one commentator calls would be all the ingredients for a psychological nightmare. Uh, a man named Gaynor Batuni, a child psychologist, writes that in regard to fairness among children, as soon as children become aware of favoritism, sibling rivalry is intensified to an almost intolerable level. So the story of Joseph starts with him as a 17-year-old. This is verse 3. Essentially telling on his brothers. He's ratting them out. Or if you have little kids in the house, he's tattling on them. We don't know what they were doing, but he brings this bad report to his father. We don't know if he, if he made up this report or if his brothers were indeed doing something they shouldn't have been doing, but he brings the bad report. And there's one thing we do know, though. We can be certain of in this part of the story. It's this, when siblings tell on other siblings, it never goes well. If you have a brother or a sister, you know that if you were told on, that was never something that got you excited. Most of the time it's the younger sibling telling on the older sibling. But we, I think we can determine from this that Joseph is a selfish, entitled teenager. And he uses this moment to tell on his brothers to elevate himself up and keep himself um, in his father's good graces, in his father's great love. And the reason for that, as we continue to look at verse 3, is that Jacob, who God had changed his name to Israel, loved Joseph more than his other brothers. And why was Jacob's love so unfairly tilted in Joseph's direction? What well, had less to do with Joseph and more to do with Jacob's story. Let me back up just briefly into Jacob's story. Like I mentioned, he was born... He had one brother, Esau. Esau was the older brother. He was big, he was strong, he was hairy, he had red hair, he was a hunter. And Jacob's father, Isaac, loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. So Jacob, with his mother, conspires to trick both Esau and Jacob to receive this covenantal blessing from God. But he angers Esau, and Esau's going to try and kill him. So Jacob flees, and he goes and lives with his uncle Laban. And it's there that he meets Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel, and he falls in love with Rachel. But Laban tricks Jacob into marrying his oldest daughter, Leah. And so Jacob has to wait seven more years before he's able to marry Rachel. But he finally does. He marries Rachel. He has all these sons, but then Rachel tragically dies in childbirth. And so the love that Jacob longed for from his father, that he poured into Rachel, she passes away, and all of that attention turns to her two sons, Joseph and his much younger brother, Benjamin. Now, this is not a lesson on family dysfunction, but this is a picture of a dysfunctional family and the pain that's associated with 
generational sin. How many of us can look back on our parents and see the things that they did in, our li- in, in their life when we were younger, and then we look at our kids and you go, man, I'm doing the same thing. Or maybe you're a teenager or a young adult, and you look at some of the actions of your parents and you think, I would never do that. That is not how I'm going to treat my future family. And we could spend an entire sermon on this, but let me say this in regard to generational sin and breaking some of those ties. The constant faithful love of your true father, along with the loving care of a community that deeply cares for you, can break these cycles of sin that's present in every family. This strikes a chord with you. There is hope in God, but it takes the love of God, you knowing God, and it takes you being deeply known by others. Unfortunately for Jacob's family, it ripped them apart. If you're continuing taking notes, we're going to move into point two, from chaos to contempt. If you look in verses four through eight, the word hate is used three times to describe Joseph's brother's attitudes or feelings about him. In fact, this entire narrative is going to unfold because of these tensions, because of this hatred. And the first instance of hatred comes because they see that their father loves Joseph more than he loves them. And how do they see that? Because of that famous coat, the coat of many colors, right? A a children's story if you grew up in church. And this coat would have represented not just love, but it would have been expensive. It would have been a treasured item. I think of it like this, if we put it in modern day terms, that when Jacob's sons turned 16, each of them were given a car, right? And they were given a, a good, solid, used Honda Accord. Under 100,000 miles, reliable, something that they could depend on, something that could get them from place to place. But then Joseph turned 16, and he gets a Ferrari, right? And his brothers go, man, that's not fair. We hate him because he's flaunting this car while we're driving our Honda Accords. No offense to Honda Accord owners, I own a Prius, so you're welcome. But this first instance of hate comes with this coat. And then we see these second two times that the word hate is used, and it's used around these two dreams. The first dream where these, there are these sheaves of grain, basically these long strips of grain where they would tie them off, and he sees these 11 sheaves of grain bowing down to the one sheaf, which is Joseph. And they go, you think we'd ever bow down to you? And they hate him for it. Now, either Joseph is extremely narcissistic or he has a really low emotional intelligence because you'd think at this point he would go, okay, they hated me when I told on them. They hated me when I wore the coat. They hated me when I told them the dream. I've had this second dream. Maybe, maybe I should just keep my mouth shut and not tell them about it. But no, Joseph tells them that dream. He tells his father that dream. And it says in there that Jacob rebukes Joseph. This is very strong language. 
Because what Joseph is doing and, and assuming here is something that wouldn't have been unheard of in the ancient Near East. Unheard of for an older brother to bow down to a younger brother. Even more unheard of for a father to bow down to a son. And the question is, as we come to the end of this passage, is why is any of this happening to Joseph? What is the significance? Why did God give him these dreams? Is it all a coincidence? Remember that stories don't tell us what to think. They allow us to enter into someone else's life. And in doing so, we get to examine our own life. And my encouragement as we're kicking off this series is to jump into Joseph's life, to feel it, to imagine yourself there. I want to encourage all of you as we begin to read the story of Joseph before each of these sermons. Know it well. Because this narrative, and by extension, the entire Bible, is not here to give you, um, it's not a self-help book. It's not here to give you three points on how to better your life. Instead, we're going to look at the lives of others, the shortcomings of others, the failure of others, the sin of others. And we're going to see how grace comes into their life and changes them. Because grace can come into your life and change you as well. And the question I want to ask here is that do you believe, do you believe deep in your heart as you look back on your life, you look back on the struggles, the trials, the joys, the sorrows, as you look back on your life, do you believe that God can take all those experiences, all the joys, all the pains in your life and use them for good? This is just the question that we need to address as we set up this story. Listen to Romans 8, 28. It says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? Press into Joseph. Open your heart to his story. And let's pray that God would strengthen ours. Be encouraged that you're not alone. The loyal, relentless, persistent love of God pursues us despite our sin, in the face of adversity, and in the moments of our life that feel out of control. Though, in my own life, as a little bit of an illustration, um, I spent almost 10 years working for two different churches. And through a series of events and burnout, we left the second church, Jen and I, and I ended, up, I ended up at the end of at the recession uh, in about 2012 and needed a job and took a job in sales at a company called Bay Alarm selling security. And I hated it for the first year. I went, man, I have a master's degree. I've worked in church ministry for 10 years. My identity had been so wrapped up in who I am. And all of a sudden now I'm knocking on doors, going business to business, selling alarm systems and cameras and things like that. I remember thinking, man, this is not who I am. This is not who I was made to be. And I remember beating on steering wheels. I remember yelling in my car. But I had a little newborn at home, and I had to sell 
to live, to make money, to support my family. So day in and day out, I'd get back in my car and I'd pound the streets and I would sell. And when you're in the forest or something like that, or you're in the trees, you just, you cannot see the forest. And it took me about three years before I started going, man, this was an opportunity for me to grow up as a man, to support my family. And I began to see how God was using those experiences and that job, not only for my good, but for his glory. And I was there for seven years. And then Jonathan approached me and said, hey, would you ever want to come on and help plan a church? And looking back, it was both my church and business experience that allowed me to come into this job. You go, that's what God was doing at that point in my life. And the story's not finished. But in the middle of the story was just confusion. So if you're in the middle of a story right now and you're confused and you're angry, man, this is the text for you. This is the story for you. This is the series for you. I want to invite you to open your heart because here's the reality. Jesus, he entered into our chaos. He bore our contempt and he turned our coincidences into confidence. He turned all those things in life that you go, I don't understand why this is there. I don't get why I have this job. And he turns it into confidences because it's a faith that he is with us. That nothing is random with God. Nothing is lost. Nothing is wasted. The loyal love of God is always pursuing you. Let's journey together. Let's open our hearts to this story that God would change us, that God would encourage us, that we would never be the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for the the journey that you're going to take us on with Joseph. I pray in it we would look into our own hearts, our own past, our own families, that we would see despite what's happened to us, despite things we've done to ourselves, despite the sin that's present in our life, that you are always pursuing us with your incredible love. We thank you for Jesus who bore our sin on the cross, who entered into the chaos, bore all the hatred and the contempt that we have and has set us free to live for him. I pray for those that are in the midst of the trees, they can't see the forest right now. Would you comfort them, God? Would you, you give them a faith and an encouragement that you are with them, that they will look back one day to see the good that you were doing. Thank you for this community. Thank you for the chance to journey together. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.